You're listening to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis, a podcast designed to explore the personal mission of everyday leaders. Hear from men and women who are making a difference in their corner of the world and discover what keeps them on mission. Welcome to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis. I'm Jonathan Cheely. Our episode today was recorded while I was in Kentucky for the Answers in Genesis Creation College Expo. So it's just me and the two guests. Sarah Malley Hancock and Patricia Angler are respected for their speaking and leading in their respective areas. Sarah is the founder of Bright Lights Ministry, a discipleship ministry encouraging young ladies to be radiant in godliness, holiness, and testimony. Through conferences, books, and resources, and Bright Lights groups that meet around the country, their goal is to encourage girls to seek the Lord with all their heart and to use their years of youth for Him. Both of these conversations were inspiring to me. They stemmed out of conversations that I had with them in that conference. I highly encourage anyone who's listening to this podcast who hasn't uh, yet made their decision about college, obviously, to consider Maranatha. But if you're looking for a great snapshot of the Christian community, the Christian college community, the College Expo at Answers in Genesis is second to none, and you get all the perks of going to the Ark and the museum at the same time. Hope you enjoy this podcast as we recorded at Answers in Genesis. So some icebreaker questions, because icebreaker help us. It helps me anyway. If you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? I would go to Israel. Israel? Yeah, I've always wanted to go there. I have traveled a lot already with the Bright Lights Ministry, but we're just waiting for someone to ask to host a conference in Jerusalem. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that the way that works, too? Because you're like, okay, is there a way that I can swing this for work (laughs) to go to the cool places? Yeah. You have a favorite meal? Well, I really enjoy Indian if it's really authentic Indian food. Yeah. At least the when I traveled to Malaysia, the Indian food there was one of my favorites that I've had. So like what are the ingredients for Indian food that you think are legitimate? Well, fresh garlic and ginger and turmeric and curry and I mean, I'm not an expert in cooking or sure. anything, but I love ginger after sushi. So like my wife got me into eating like, you know, the fresh ginger and it is like it's a kick in the face, but it, I really like it. It's like a nice mm-hmm. palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. same thing. And I like lemon ginger tea. It's a really great, and to me, it's a nice reset for the afternoon. Okay, so we're here on the On Mission podcast. I'm actually recording here at Answers in Genesis. We're upstairs at the Answers Center. And uh, we have Sarah on the podcast today. And Sarah is uh, ministering with, with Bright Lights Ministry, uh, a ministry about... Um, investing in the next generation of young women. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, Sarah, tell us a little bit about um, how you got into that. When I was 17 in high school, I was thinking about some of the younger girls that I knew, especially the preteen girls, ages 10, 11, 12, 13, and just really had a heart for them. You know, a lot of them were not getting the same kind of godly encouragement that I was getting, even if they were in Christian homes. And I felt like the Lord had just been doing so much in my life. And I wanted to share with these girls some of the things I was learning. So it was just on my heart. And then I remember asking my parents one day, what would you think if I started a Bible study for some of these younger girls that I know? And my parents were encouraging. My mom said, you know, moms are looking for godly role models for their daughters, and this would be a way for you to get to know them better. And so I decided to start this little group called Bright Lights. And Bright is an acronym. It stands for Being Radiant in godliness, holiness, and testimony. And I invited some of these girls and their friends. And our first meeting, we had about 13 girls squeezed into our living room. And I had prepared a lesson and just uh, we we started meeting weekly. And I, I was excited to see these girls were really hungry 
for biblical truth because I told them right away, this isn't just going to be a normal, fun youth group. Yes, we are going to have a fun time, but this is for girls that really want to be challenged in their walk with Christ and really want to really want to grow. And, you know, often our lesson would be like an hour long, but I was excited to see that the girls loved that and they were taking notes and they were applying it. And so that was the beginning then of the Bright Lights ministry. That's amazing though. I, I think the word you said is hungry. And mm -hmm. I think that that's true. A lot of young people. Um, and I, another thing that you said is that even in Christian homes, this is true. Uh, a lot of folks are mm -hmm. consistent in going to church. A lot of folks are consistent in a Christian worldview, even in the discussion around the, around the kitchen table. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing quite like studying with another group who is just as hungry as you are for the truth and for mm -hmm. the application of the truth, too. Because uh, you right. might have a really great pastor who's great at expositional preaching, but sometimes you need to... You need to take a step aside and and have a little bit of a, of a deeper dive. Right. For an 11-year-old girl, what does it look like for me fully following Jesus in my home today? You know, helping just walk them through that. Mm -hmm. What does it look like in my daily life to follow Christ? That's awesome. So how did you come up with the name? So like, obviously you, you said uh, there's some intentionality behind that. So how did you come up with it? I was, as, as I was starting, I mean, I was just praying for the right name for our group and a I had a friend that was helping me and we were talking and I really liked the idea of, of being of bright, you know, encouraging these girls to be radiant and to have the joy that we can have and, and that our calling is being lights in the world. And then the acronym just came together really easily, being radiant in godliness, holiness and testimony. That's what we want to do. That's our calling. That's awesome. That's awesome. So obviously, since you started as a 17 year old, this has kind of consumed your life at some point uh, along the way. Yes. And with the question that we always ask our guests on the podcast is, do you have a mission statement? And it may not be something highly, you know, tailored and very specifically like a, an institution, but do you uh -huh. have something that's a, a mission statement? Well, I would say the heart of our ministry is that we really want to encourage women of all ages to disciple younger girls to that those younger girls would be radiant, be be bright lights, be radiant in godliness, holiness, and testimony. And, and we just see discipleship is really missing in the church and that it's a calling that all of us have. That's the commission Jesus gave us. And many women say they've never been discipled themselves. They don't know how to disciple. Many young women don't have the vision for how God could be using them right now. They think that's something for when I'm older and more mature, not realizing that you grow the most when you disciple. You know, when I started that Bright Lights group when I was 17, I, I'm sure I'm the one who was growing the most because when you're teaching others and you're putting into practice in your life so that you can model for them, it just pushes you to grow. And so we really have that heart for discipleship and encouraging women of all ages in discipleship and then encouraging these younger girls, like they can be strong for the Lord now. It doesn't, not when you're older. Right now, God wants to use you when you're young. I love that. We, we often talk with our college students that life is happening in college. It's not like you graduate mm -hmm. and all of a sudden life starts. Um, you have to be a Christian. You have to be a leader. You have to be um, determined to do your faith, to do your the work of uh, growth in college and after, after college and Definitely. things like that. Um, so let's talk about um, how you transition. So there's there's a very big difference between <laughs> having a group of girls on a weekly basis and what you guys are doing today. So how, how did that happen? It happened very gradually and it was something God did. It wasn't at all like we had this big plan, you know, but my little group was growing every week. It seemed like a few more girls were coming and then 
a couple of years later, I started having some other girls say, hey, we've heard about your Bright Lights group and we'd like to do something like that. Do you have some resources that we could use or how are you doing it? And then it was actually my dad's idea. He's very visionary. And he said, Sarah, why don't you teach a Bright Lights leaders training and teach other young women to disciple girls? And my first thought was, oh, I really don't see myself doing that. But my dad said, you know, it wouldn't hurt to try. And it wouldn't hurt to just encourage a few girls, you know. So I planned this this very small, I called it the Bright Lights Leaders Training. We only had three girls and one mom. And I just shared, here's everything that the Lord has taught me about discipleship. And so that was kind of the beginning. The next year we had about 20 girls come to the Bright Lights Leaders Training. And then we had more groups starting and we had a kind of a system for them to apply with us and for us to stay in touch with them. And there's been about 800 bright lights groups that have started now. And so again, it was very gradually, God just kept opening doors. And then pretty soon my little group of girls who were 10, 11, 12, 13, now they are 16, 17, 18. And many of them were still involved and really also had a heart for discipleship. So pretty soon I found that I had a team of girls that wanted to work with me. And that was when we started hosting girls conferences, which is something that we are still doing and has become a big part of our ministry is going to going to a church or we have one coming up here at the ARC uh, mother-daughter conference. And that's a way to, that's a way to really reach a lot of girls and encourage them, but it's still not the heart of our ministry because we think discipleship happens so much more, not just by coming to a weekend conference, but by that personal investing in someone on a regular basis, living the Christian life with them. And so that's why, even though we love to do the conferences and it's a great way for the ministry to grow, every time we do a conference, our heart is that more of the women there will get a heart for that discipleship and, you know, start Bright Lights groups and take it back home and, and share it with others. I love it. So would you say that like the groups have grown organically for the most part? It's yes. word of mouth. Yes, like definitely. We just trusted the Lord to do that. And, um, We've written some resources mm -hmm. uh, and, and that kind of helps get the word out. Like when I was in my 20s, I wrote a book called Before You Meet Prince Charming. And that came out of because I was I was writing lessons for the girls and I wanted to write some material on purity. And that one kind of turned into a book. But then there was a lot of excitement about that book. And so a lot of girls would read Before You Meet Prince Charming. And then at the end, I told the story of Bright Lights and then they would say, oh, we want to do that. And, you know, that was one way that a lot of new Bright Lights groups were starting. So how... Walk me through your mindset of when you decided, oh, I'm, I'm going to actually write something. I'm going to publish something. What went through your brain when you started doing that? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Well, when I started Bright Lights, I was just handwriting my lessons and taking them to a oh, yeah. photocopy machine yeah. and handing it out to the girls <laughs> because I wanted the girls to have our, you know, to yeah. remember what we learned and review it at home. And then one, there was, uh, we were at a homeschool conference one day. And I had brought our Bright Lights material. Again, it was just this handwritten material because I had a small table there as a display and was talking to people. And something I had written for my girls was a just a one-page little uh, kind of pamphlet about brothers and sisters relationships because that was something girls in my group were struggling with was getting along with their brothers and sisters. And I had that on the table and I was just surprised to find like people are really interested in this topic of brothers and sisters. People kept, you know, I was there to talk about bright lights, but people kept talking about that little pamphlet. And so then the idea just came into my mind, like a book is a way to really reach a lot of people. And this is an area of need. And so I talked to my brother and sister who were 16 and 12 at the time. I was 22. And I said, what would you guys think of writing a book about making brothers and sisters best friends? Because I feel like God has taught us so much in that area. 
So I talked them into it and we wrote this book. We did not know what we were doing. We were, they were just still homeschooling themselves. So it was kind of a homeschool project. Yeah. The blind leading but, the blind. Yes. <laughs> but God brought that book together and it really took off. And I think it was because a lot of families, especially homeschool families in the circles we were in, were struggling in that area. And so once we saw Making Brothers and Sisters Best Friends taking off and selling, then it's like, oh, we can do this. That's amazing. I, I we, My wife and I talk about this on a regular basis. I've never met someone from a large family who regretted it. Mm. I mean, people with, you know, lots and lots of kids, mm -hmm. like one of my friends that I graduated college with, he was a, one of 11. Yes. And loved it. Yes. Absolutely loved it. Like he, he was, he would say ten, his thing when he would say 10 out of 10 would recommend <laughs> having lots of kids. And, and, and the idea was that that was their, that was their community. The home uh -huh. was their community. And in a world where the home is under attack, that's a great resource. Yes. Has that continued? It and has. have you gone back and edited that at all? <laughs> Not really. We we're no? like, this is, we'll just keep this as it is. And as, as we were at that age, I mean, my sister was 12, so yeah. it's got that feel from a 12 year old. Um, but it is, it's still actually still selling. And we ended up writing a coloring book to go with it and making a DVD and have it talked to a lot of siblings about sibling relationships yeah, over the years. That's a big deal. That's a big mm -hmm. deal. I think, I feel like even brothers and sisters in Christ need some work on yes, that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It really applies. It really applies to <laughs> that, that. That's awesome. So when you started doing conferences, so this is another kind of like shift in your mindset. How did you stay true to what you wanted to do with the groups? Because obviously, like we have the same thing. Every once in a while, you go to a conference and you, you, you're, you're trying to get people to understand the ministry of what you're doing and you want them to, to grab a hold. And oftentimes people just grab onto a resource and they think that's going to fix it. And, and what I want to piggyback on with this is what you said earlier. It's not enough to just be inspired in a conference. So how did you keep the right process forefront in your mind as you continue to lead the groups? I think every time we would do a conference, you know, we would really pray, of course, that God would use us at the conference and give girls a vision to live for him. But we would really try to give them the vision that this isn't just for you to learn. This is for you to go and share with others. That is being a bright light to the world. And we are all called to make disciples. That's We're all called to go out and share the gospel and we're all called to go out and make disciples. And so that should be a part of every one of our lives. And if you're 10 years old, you have younger, you might have younger siblings look, looking up to you. And as you invest in them, that's a part of discipleship. So kind of giving them that vision, you know, from a young age, like I tell the girls in my Bright Lights group, I'm praying that you guys lead Bright Lights group someday. And, and so preparing from them for that kind of like, Paul talks about training, you know, faithful men who will train faithful men already thinking, you know, thinking of the next generation. And so when we do a conference, again, trying to give them that vision. But then if they do want to start a Bright Lights group, then we have a leaders training that we ask them to go through, which kind of clarifies what our heart is and our vision and what we believe is biblical discipleship and have them agree with our our vision statement and make sure that they're on the same page if they're going to be an official bright lights group. So tell me a success story. Tell me something uh, about someone who grabbed a hold of that mission and is doing it really well. Well, one that comes to my mind is a girl that when it was named Jenny and she was in my bright lights group when it first started. And then a few years, if she was just a young, shy girl, you know, and then a few years later, she, their family moved away and their family moved to Minneapolis. And uh, she told me, Sarah, I'm going to start a Bright Lights group there. So a couple of years later, she started a Bright Lights group in Minneapolis. 
And uh, then a few years after that, Jenny's family moved back to Cedar Rapids. But one of the girls that was in her group said, I'm going to take over the leadership of this group now. And so she became the leader of that group. Well, then I received a leader's application in the mail few years later. And the girl said to me, I was in so-and-so's group and now I'm taking over the group. And then a few years later, I received another application in the mail and I realized this is at least the fifth generation or sixth mm. generation from my original Bright Lights group. And I told the girl, I'm like, do you know that you are a sixth generation leader? And she had no idea of the history. So, you know, that I think kind of sums up the heart of, you know, Jesus wants us to go out and, and make disciples and that multiplies. And that's a way to reach the world is through that multiplication process, you know. And so just seeing them, not just disciple girls, but then pass on that vision to disciple others. Yeah, because it's not enough to just take a hold of it yourself. It's not enough to just be the right person, the right young lady uh, for the kingdom just by yourself. You, you got to pass that on to other people. And if, mm -hmm. even if it's peers, that's mm -hmm. something that we talk about a lot. It's easy in quote unquote air quotes. It's easy to mm -hmm. exercise leadership over people who you have a position over. Right. It's mm -hmm. not actually easy, but mm -hmm. we, we say that it's mm -hmm. easy because it's like, hey, I can tell this person what to do. What's the hardest version of leadership? Leading someone who's the same stage of life as you and who needs that help and who needs the the I don't know, the the positive peer pressure, if you if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the hard stuff. And but that's where multiplication happens the most, where, hey, I'm going to pass this on to you and we're going to do it together and we're going to go through the messiness Mm -hmm. of doing that discipleship and calling each other out and speaking truth to one another when when it doesn't uh when it doesn't feel good. Right. And discipleship doesn't have to be something formal like I'm meeting you for coffee every week and right. going through a book. You know, it's any time that we are pointing people to Christ and investing in them spiritually, that's all part of discipleship. Right. It's in the context of relationships mm -hmm. and people people meeting with people and and when it's when it's Christians meeting with other Christians there should be a natural bent towards that iron sharpening iron. Mm -hmm. We're going to have those hard conversations because if we don't, who else is going to keep us accountable? Who else is going to push us towards Christ? Mm -hmm. So there's something that we haven't talked about yet. And I, and I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on this because we work with college students and we have a lot of college students who, who understandably think when they come to college, they're going to meet their spouse, <laughs> of course. but then they don't. Uh -huh. So can you give them any encouragement on that? Sure. So I was single for many years because, like I mentioned, I started Bright Lights when I was 17. And I was, you know, expecting God to bring a godly husband in my life sometime in the next decade or so and, you know, have a family. And it was kind of like year by year was going by and that wasn't happening. And uh, then but I loved I loved my ministry and I was trusting God's timing. And then when I was 27 is when I wrote this book, Before You Meet Prince Charming. And it was all about waiting on the Lord and delighting in Christ and how to guard our hearts and minds, and especially for younger girls, encouraging them in the area of purity. And I kind of thought, well, maybe after I write that book, maybe, you know, then God's going to bring someone along for me. That didn't happen. I'm in my 30s. My sister, 10 years younger than I was, is also single and really working with me. So the two of us were kind of single together. And so all through my 30s, I was single. And that wasn't what I was expecting. And there were definitely hard parts about that. There were definitely wonderful parts about that. We had a lot of freedom to travel and do all kinds of 
projects that you couldn't easily do with a right. spouse and a family. So God really blessed those years. And I'd say God really gave me peace during those years. Okay, this is where God wants me to be. It's not a hard thing for God to bring a godly husband. So if he, I can trust him to do it. But then I did kind of think, okay, God, why did you have me write this book called Before You Meet Prince Charming? Because it's all about, you know, waiting on the Lord and letting him provide. And all these girls who love this book, if they look at my life, they might think, well, it didn't work for her. And so I kind of thought, <laughs> you know, Lord, I know that I know I can trust you. And if I'm single all my life, that that's that's going to be good. And I can trust you in that singleness is a good thing. But why did you have me write this book before you meet Prince Charming? And then I thought, well, maybe it's a good thing I'm single because the book, that's really what the book is about. The book is not about trust God and you'll get married. The book is about Jesus is sufficient and he is the one that we delight in. And I thought maybe that's the best example is being single. Um, but then when I was 39 is when God brought a godly guy into my life, Andrew Hancock, and a friend introduced us. And I had always prayed for someone that had a heart for discipleship just because that was that was really my heart. So heart for guys, discipleship. And it was amazing because Andrew Hancock, he was a pastor at a church only 30 minutes away. And he is exactly my age. We're one month different in age. And he had been involved in discipleship ministries like back in college. And his parents were in the Navigators, which is a great discipleship ministry. And then he'd been a young adults pastor and in college ministry and had such a heart for discipleship. And we were like, why did we never meet each other? We were a half an hour away. We had some mutual friends. I knew about his church and all of this. But anyway, finally, at the right time, God brought us together. And then we were 41 when we got married. So again, later than either of us expected, but really wonderful how God has blessed us. That's really encouraging. I think, you know, one of my really good friends is he's he's serving faithfully. He's one of the I'd say he's a pillar of his local church. Mm -hmm. He's single. And he's, I, I don't know if he's really searching or not, <laughs> uh -huh. but I'll tell you, there are things that he can do that I can't do. And sometimes I'm mm -hmm. jealous of the ministry that he has because he can be there till late at night or he can be the first one there. And that's something that I try to really encourage singles who are in college. And even sometimes it's the hardest right after college when all your friends, you know, like there's, right. there was a season of my life where I was in all kinds of weddings or we were going to all kinds of weddings. And maybe mm -hmm. that's the lonely part. Yeah. But if you can mm -hmm. double down on the ministry opportunities, if you can find ways to be invested in your local church, that's right. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. I think that when I was around 24, 25 was when I kind of realized, wait, this is what I was, ex what it was expecting and it's not happening and kind of going through a season of, you know, there's going to be the harder, the harder seasons right. in singleness. There's going to be ups and downs. And I think one thing that helped me was in the hard seasons when, okay, the desire is really strong, realize, okay, that desire is not a bad desire. That's a good godly desire. Right. We're made and, that way. Yes. And I, I don't need to try to get rid of the desire. What I really need to do is try to is I need to be seeking Christ so much more. So it's not that I need to desire marriage less or a family or all those things, but I should be desiring Christ so much more. And in and those longings are longings that teach us like how to long for Christ, how to hunger for him. And if we didn't have any of those longings, you know, we we might not press into him like he really wants us to. And so that was one thing that was a really good reminder for me 
in some of the hard times. That's awesome. Well, so this has been a great conversation. How can we get a hold of you if we if, if anyone's listening to this, they'd be interested in a Bright Lights group or some of your resources? How do we do that? Well, we have, um, well, our website is brightlightsministry.com and we have a conference coming up at the Ark Encounter. So that would be a wonderful way for any girls to kind of get acquainted with our ministry, get a taste of the ministry and also get to see the Ark at the same time. That's February 24 and 25. And it's a conference called Speak Truth in Your Heart. So it's all about lies that we tend to believe as women, lies, you know, like God doesn't love me. I'm worthless. One little sin isn't going to matter. If I trust and follow God's way, I'm going to end up miserable. Just I can't control my emotions. Just all these lies in different areas of life that come against us and how we need. I mean, why would we listen to lies from the enemy who hates us when Jesus loves us and spoken truth to us? So encouraging girls to really know the truth build their thinking on the truth, identify lies, replace lies with truth. So we're really excited about that conference. So that's February 24 and 25 at the Ark Encounter. And that would be a wonderful way to kind of get a taste of our whole Bright Lights ministry and uh, get to hear Ken Ham give a session too. And my sister and brother-in-law will be talking about sharing the gospel. And my husband and I will be sharing about relationships. So kind of, it's not going to just be me. It's going to be the whole family and Answers in Genesis. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you. Patricia serves as a speaker and author for Answers in Genesis. Her passion for biblical apologetics ignited at 14 when she first heard a seminar by founder of AIG, Ken Ham. Patricia is a passionate and engaging communicator who speaks to a variety of audiences. She is available for speaking at children's, family, youth, and young adult and women's conferences. Patricia's presentations encompass biblical apologetics, critical thinking, and her personal testimony of an amazing 360 in 180 journey that are sure to inspire, equip, and encourage believers of all ages. Along with her many speaking engagements, Patricia is the author to Prepare to Thrive, a survival guide for Christian students. Where in the world would you like to travel if you've never been there before? Um, I haven't been to South America before, so that is the, the one continent still on my hit list. On the hit list. I like uh, yes. that. <laughs> Where else have you been? Well, um, after I graduated from my university, I did backpack 180 degrees around the world in, or sorry, 360 degrees around the world in 180 days interviewing Christian students about their university experiences and wow. how they survived. So that took me to all the other continents except... Africa and South, or, um, yeah, South America and Antarctica, obviously. Yeah. But yep. That's amazing. That yep. sounds like fun. It it's really like was. the book. Yes. <laughs> Where did you even come up with that idea? Um, so I had always wanted to travel and do missions and I am inspired by learning about other people's stories and how other people keep their faith at university. Cause I knew what helped me as a Christian student at secular university, but I wanted to see how global those patterns were. So I thought it'd be really cool to just travel and learn from other students, see what helps them. So yeah, it was just a step of faith and I just kind of prayed for God to open doors and provide and he did. So six months I was just backpacking. That's amazing. Okay, so you obviously had a lot of good food while you were doing that. So, like, what's your favorite meal? Some. Well, I got to really like Thai curry, so green okay. curry, especially yeah. in Thailand. I was there at a church, and that's what they served, so that was pretty good. Probably the strangest thing I ate was raw squid in Japan, and a yeah. lot of, like, duck stomach soup, pig stomach, all sorts of interesting things. But <laughs> Anything stomach is like, okay. <laughs> it was a lot to stomach, yeah. But. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Well, uh, we're here at the Answers Center. Um, we're upstairs. There's students downstairs. Um, 
finding out more about colleges that teach from a Christian worldview. And Marinetta has benefited from that for year after year for the past several years. Uh, but this afternoon, uh, Patricia will be talking about Christians in a secular environment and how to keep your faith. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But uh, do you have a personal mission statement? My mission right now is to help people keep, defend, and live out a strong biblical worldview in a way that impacts their surroundings with Jesus. So especially teaching people how to think like apologists, to think biblically and critically, to be able to make a defense for the reason for the hope that they have in Christ. So how did you come up with that? Because obviously that was like that was rapid fire. You thought about that. So how did you get there? <laughs> it's been a bit of a journey, but since I was 14, basically, I decided that I wanted to go into apologetics after hearing Ken Ham, actually the founder of Answers in Genesis, give a talk about why Genesis matters for all of the rest of the Christian worldview and also for all the, say, justice and morality issues that stem from a biblical worldview. So I decided I want to go into apologetics and help other people defend their faith. So that's where that part of it came in. And then to do that, I decided to go to secular university and study evolution so that I could learn what people teach in evolutionary classrooms and also just learn how to be a Christian student in that environment and survive and keep my faith and then be able to better defend Genesis from an informed perspective. So then that's where I went through. I learned all the different things that helped me in that environment, did the travels, learned that the same things that helped me are very similar around the world for the things that help other Christian students. And that's kind of where the other parts of the mission statement came in, because then I realized that the things that help Christian students also apply to helping, say, people in persecuted countries keep their faith in hard places. And it also applies to helping, say, world-changing Christians like William Wilberforce, whose stance on biblical authority drove him to help stop the, er, the British slave trade. They also excel in the same things that help Christian students. So that's when I saw that the things that... Um, will help you get through hard places also apply to helping you transform your surroundings and keep your biblical worldview and use that worldview to impact your environment. So that's kind of the the bigger picture of how that all came together. That's awesome. And obviously, if you have some experience in seeing other things, there's that perspective that comes with, hey, these are, you know, these are international concepts. And um, I wonder if you could talk to a student who might be, you know, concerned about doing that you know, things that we hear a lot are, I'm alone in doing this. Yeah. So how do you encourage those students? For sure. So I can tell you the things that helped me and the things that then were those patterns that help Christian students around the world and then any Christian. And a lot of it does apply to navigating that kind of sense of isolation. So the three things, three foundations, number one is spiritual foundations, having a close personal walk with God, owning your own faith, knowing what the Bible says, staying connected with God through prayer and staying in the word. So spiritual foundations. So then you know you're not alone because you are with God and you're living out that strong relationship with him. And then second was intellectual foundations. So that's having your apologetics training being able to defend why you believe what you believe from the Bible, and then having biblical critical thinking skills to answer new questions that come up that you might not have heard before and think like an apologist yourself. So intellectual foundations. And then the third was interpersonal foundations. So that's having your strong Christian support network, including ideally godly family, if you have them around, but then also godly peers, a biblical local church, and then older Christian mentors was a huge one that all over the world turns out to be important. So connections with older Christian adults. And they don't 
if they are in a field that you want to go into, that's awesome. Like I had a mentor like that in school who is from a creation science association in Canada. So just like once a semester, I'd go to her house, ask her the questions that I had during my studies, and she'd point me to different apologetics resources. So that's awesome. But even just having older people in your church who can have you over after um, the service and you can go for lunch with them and just tell them about what you're going through. They can share stories from their life, stories of how um, God has impacted them. That's super valuable. Like I was talking to a campus ministry leader in Holland, actually, and she said a mentor is anyone with a story of God's faithfulness to share. So really anyone can be a mentor if they've walked with God. And I definitely would encourage people to, to do that. It's one of the strong suits, I think, of going to a Christian university like Maranatha, because not only are you going to be, so it's a, they're necessarily smaller, right? A Christian university is not going to have the masses um, that, you know, a division one school might have. But then if you have a godly mentor, you can find them just because the faculty are there for that purpose. I guarantee you, I'm not at Maranatha because I'm making a ton of money. Sure. <laughs> I'm there because I want to develop leaders. That's and awesome. that's a, that's a consistent theme. I think you'll find uh, mentorship is huge. So I want to talk about something that you said in this second one, intellectual foundation. Yep. Cause I think something that students forget is that apologetics is not a list of answers to questions. Exactly. Um, and you said it's a process of being able to answer questions that you don't know about yet. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So I have I have a whole book that kind of covers some of this and then just tons and tons of resources about this. So basically I talk about three rules of critical thinking. So that's what I call the, the process of, of thinking through questions yourself, biblical critical thinking. So the three rules are number one, don't panic when you hear a faith challenging message. <laughs> I love that. So, yeah. so you know God's word is true. Truth, fears, no questions as one of my favorite anonymous quotes says so I encourage students if you're say in a class you hear something that conflicts with your faith you don't know how to answer it don't panic write down your question about it and then you can follow up on it later and if you have to take notes in class put quotation marks around that comment so you don't feel like you're writing down a definite fact you're just writing down what someone said so rule one don't panic then rule two break the message down with the biblical critical thinking. And there's a tool to help you do that. I called seven checks of critical thinking. So you start with checking scripture. What does the Bible say about this subject? Then you zoom in and check the challenge. Ask, okay, so does this actually conflict with the Bible as opposed to something from outside the Bible I might have incorporated into my beliefs? You check the source. Ask who's telling you this message. What's their credibility? What's their worldview? How is the information collected? Is it being reported accurately? Fourth, you check the definitions. So to find the keywords in the message, make sure they're not changing meanings. Make sure that you've clarified what you're actually talking about. Number five, you check for propaganda. So that's anything that tries to persuade by appealing to something other than logic. Mm. So a way to do that is to ask, why does this message sound persuasive? And you can ask, is a message true or false because because a lot of people believe it, not necessarily, because it's repeated often, not necessarily, all of that. That'll help you catch a lot of logical fallacies. Then six, you check the interpretations. So you ask, what is what parts of this message are actually facts that we can observe and what are assumptions or interpretations that people are adding into it, usually from a secular worldview? And then what's a biblical way of looking at those same facts? And you'll usually find it makes more sense than the, the secular version. So that's number six. And then seventh, you check the logic. Just do a last little sweep for any other logical fallacies you might have missed. And at that point, you will have caught so many persuasive untruths from everything you see and hear. You might still have some questions left over. So that's why rule three is follow up on remaining questions 
questions. Go to other apologetics resources, ask a mentor, ask God, of course, um, seek wisdom from scripture. But then you can remember that God has the answer. You can trust him even if he doesn't reveal the answer to you, the side of eternity. A verse that helped me navigate these kinds of things when I was a student was in the book of John, where Jesus's teachings grow really tough and a lot of disciples start walking away from their faith. Peter says, um, or Jesus asks his disciples if they want to leave too. And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So those words encourage me by reminding me that the weight of certainty for my faith far surpassed the uncertainty of unresolved questions. And I often found that what I learned from following up on my questions ended up strengthening my faith. So those are the three rules that I tell. That was like a whole talk kind of packed into one one little five minute spiel. It's like you've done that before. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the main talks I gave at the museum and and the ARC. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. I, I, I can uh, commiserate with that a little bit. I, one of my favorite stories is in Luke, and uh, the, the phrase is, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Sure. Um, there's a lot of times where um, you can interact with secularists where they have just as much faith as we do, yeah. just in a different thing, just in a different um, quote-unquote fact. For sure. Um, and uh, I think that's absolutely true. Um, so, uh, what are the kinds of things that you do here, uh, with answers in Genesis? Right. So I do a lot of speaking. So I often talk about the critical thinking aspect. I also am a writer when I'm not speaking. So I've been writing a little bit about, um, Marxism lately. So I had the chance to backpack a little bit, um, around Europe this past spring, kind of tracing the history and consequences of Marxist thinking, the conflict theory, how that's seeping into aspects of culture today. And then I'm also just started a degree in bioethics that I'm doing doing online on the side. So that's <laughs> keeping me pretty busy. Um, it's just a side by side thing, doing a degree in bioethics. <laughs> but um, I'm able to do some of that for work too, to talk about things like abortion and euthanasia. And how do we think about, say, new technologies from a biblical perspective? Should we all plug our brains into the internet? How do we navigate these things biblically? So thinking about some of those issues as well. So there's something that's baked into your being because you're in a different culture that you grew up with. Okay. So, and then you, you've moved around and you've seen different things. But a lot of students at the high school and college level, they haven't experienced a different culture. So how would you encourage people to get into those kinds of experiences? You like to backpack. Not yes. everyone likes to backpack. <laughs> sure. So how do you do that? Right. Well, I mean, it'll kind of depend what you have available to you. But say if you're living in a town and there are some people from other cultures there, like it's just great to make friends with people from other places. And it can also be a really cool way of evangelism too, um, especially if you do have some good apologetics resources for interacting with those other faiths. So one that's really good is Answers in Genesis has a world religions and cults book set that you can go through. And that's just a good way to learn about other cultures too, is is reading up on some things like that. When I was growing up, I was inspired by missionary biographies. So that's another great way to not only learn about other cultures, but also in a sense, be mentored by strong Christians who have really seen God work in some incredible ways and walked with him. It was reading those incredible stories as a teenager that inspired me to want to get to know God more myself and also helped inspire that idea to, to go around the world and step out in faith that way. So reading missionary biographies, making friends with people from other places. And if you have missionaries at your church or you can go to say missions conferences, that's also a great way. Like the town I grew up in, there was a missions conference every single year and we just grew up going to that. And it was always a highlight of the year, really getting to, to meet different missionaries, learn their stories, hear from other cultures. So yeah, there are a lot of great ways. 
I think it's a benefit if you think about that. That's a mindset instead of just a thing to do. You're looking for those opportunities to interact with other people, with other ideas, with other ways of living. Uh, that's how you advance the gospel. Um, if you only talk to people who think, look, act the same way you do, you're not going to advance the gospel. You're going to maybe strengthen your own faith, but you're not going to you're not going to do the, the work of discipleship. So um, I got one last question for you. Um, we graduate at Maranatha, and a lot of people listen to the podcast. They graduate from us. We're a you know we were self proclaimed grad school prep school at some time at some level. Um, a lot of our courses or a lot of our uh, programs are getting them into grad school for professional degrees or other careers that require licensure. And uh, we we talk about having a strong faith before you get into those grad school situations. But even if you do, there's you're going to interact with strong opposition to a biblical framework of thinking and um, the church and Jesus. How would you encourage those students before they get started in that kind of experience? For sure. That's so important. And even just thinking ahead about having to prepare, like that's huge. So definitely think ahead and start building your foundations now in all three areas. Start building your spiritual foundations, um, develop a strong prayer life, and also strong habits that prioritize your spiritual foundations, like make that non-negotiable. Like you get up, you pray, you read your Bible, you worship. And then that's like number one. And then everything else fits around your walk with God. So really hone into those spiritual foundations, get to know God's word, memorize Bible verses, listen to audio Bibles while you're doing other things like cooking or commuting and really fill yourselves up with God's word. And ideally attending a Christian school will also be a, a huge benefit for that. And then second, again, with those intellectual foundations, a way that you can start building those is just start learning some of those basic apologetics answers. And if you have like a good foundation for say some of the main questions, like how does a loving God allow death and suffering? Um, isn't earth millions of years old? What about evolution? Doesn't science disprove the Bible? Things that you can learn, even if you just like go online to answersingenesis.org. Um, we have entire answers books there online that you can just read. So start learning some of those basic questions and start practicing those biblical critical thinking skills. And then third, really start to build your interpersonal foundations, find a mentor that you can stay connected with if you can. And if you're moving away to grad school, then research ahead of time, biblical local churches in your area and start trying to make connections with them if you can. There's a study from 2018 called Renegotiating Faith. Um, it was a Canadian study, and it found that students who moved away from home to go to university, if they didn't connect to a church within their first month, they were a lot less likely to attend church during university. But students who had someone from their hometown connect them with a church in their new university town were three times more likely to attend. So try to start planning in advance those kinds of things, and also draw boundaries ahead of time for thinking about the pressures and temptations you'll face and making a plan ahead of time for how you'll respond biblically. So for instance, my dad, when he knew he was going to take some courses that would challenge his faith, he wrote down all the non-negotiables of his biblical beliefs in advance and made a plan with my mom for how she should respond if she noticed him start to compromise. So just do things like that, draw some boundaries, have a plan. I heard once um, on a, an interview, someone was saying people don't plan to mess up their life, but they don't plan not to. And that's the problem. So yeah. plan not to mess up your life and keep a close walk with God. Keep keep manners, stay accountable. That'll all help. I love that. I love that. The planning ahead, the intentionality to keep your faith is is what makes the huge difference for most people. If you think about it ahead of time and you enlist the help of others, like your local church is supposed to be doing, um, then it's going to be far easier to, to maintain your faith. 
Hey, thanks for this conversation. It was perfect. Uh, we really appreciate the work that you do in actually writing and, um, and getting out and speaking. Uh, we, uh, we're very thankful for it. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. On Mission is a production of Maranatha Baptist University. Subscribe to On Mission on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review as this will help other growing leaders find these conversations. For more information about our guests, previous episodes, and general information about On Mission or MBU, go to mbu.edu podcast. Join us again next week as we examine what keeps leaders on mission.